Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. Welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. In today's episode, we continue the series called Jesus at the Center of Christmas. The message is titled Protected by Parents. We'll look at how God chose and equipped Mary and Joseph to protect his son. At the end of today's episode, there are details about the Brookwood Church Candlelight Christmas Eve service on December 23rd and 24th. Right now, here's founding pastor Perry Ducker with today's message. Thank you, Sherman. We continue our series, Jesus at the Center of Christmas. And today's message is entitled, Protected by Parents. It's focused on the earthly parents, Mary and Joseph, those that God chose. The theme verse for today is Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. And this is a verse written to us, but the way I approach the scripture is always to see what the lesson is for us because the Bible's not merely a history book. It was all given to us and the specific things given to us are to be applied to our lives. And so today we look at parenting. Ephesians 6, 4, this is the contemporary English version. Parents, don't be hard on your children. Raise them properly. Teach them and instruct them about the Lord. Sometimes I think we minimize the humanity of Jesus and we think of him as God who pretended to be human. But Jesus was fully human, like every other child. And he was also unique, of course. He was singular among all human babies because he was God. He was conceived in an unusual way, but he didn't appear odd. To his neighbors, they said, who is this guy? He's the carpenter's son. To his siblings, they didn't believe in him and him as the son of God while he was growing up. It was later in his ministry that his, any of his siblings converted and believed. So there wasn't anything about him that appeared strange. He wasn't levitating the bottle in the air and, you know, or doing miracles as a five-year-old. He was developing what looked to be normally to all who observed. You know, his parents were informed of his true identity and his future role as the Savior, as the Messiah, as the King. But he would still have to be taught and trained. He would still have to be raised as a typical child, bathed and cleaned. But, but what a challenge. Do you think, if you can place yourself in the minds of that young couple, do you think they knew how to raise this special child? What do you think? Well, do you know how to raise yours always? No. No, of course not. I think they were confused, overwhelmed at times. Which, aren't you? Don't you wonder what to do? Well, imagine that you had been given a child from God directly to raise. I think you have, actually. 
But look at these verses. I think they indicate the bewilderment of his parents at times. Luke chapter 2, but Mary kept these things in her heart and thought about them often. Now this, this is in response to the shepherd story and what they saw there in Bethlehem. And so she's wondering, who is this child? Luke 2 verse 33, Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. And this is a prophecy that was spoken by a man at the temple named Simeon. And she goes, how does he know? And what is this he's saying? Verse 48, his parents didn't know what to think. You ever feel that way about your kids? When they found him at the temple at the age of 12, and he's sitting there with all the scholars and the, you know, the religious eggheads. And then verse 50, but they didn't understand what he meant when he said, don't you know I've got to be in my father's house? They must have wondered, who is this child? What will he do? What should I do? Don't you wonder that about your children? Gosh, I know my parents. I would run into my parents sometimes in the hall of the school, and that was not a good thing. <laughs> they, they had been called in to meet about me because I had wonderful grades and terrible behavior, and they couldn't ever put the... It was interesting. While they theorized about me, nobody ever asked me the question, why was I doing it? It's too simple. But there are many responsibilities of parenting. And so we learn some lessons from Mary and Joseph as we look at their story. You know, on the evening of the church's Christmas play, there was a little eight-year-old Joseph, and he had a six-year-old Mary with him, and they walked slowly across the stage. They walked up to a doorway that had a sign on it that said, In. Little Joseph knocked on the door, and it was opened by a grinning 10-year-old. What do you want? snarled the innkeeper. Well, we need a place to stay. My, my wife is, is soon to have a baby. Do you have room? The innkeeper smiled mischievously, and he said, Sure I do. Come on in. I have plenty of room for you. Little Mary was shocked, and she glanced at Joseph with panic, Joseph was surprised, but he recovered quickly and he stuck his head through the doorway and he looked around and he said, I'm not going to let my wife stay in this dump. We'd rather sleep in a stable. <laughs> Parenting is a great responsibility. A parent's most important motivation should be to place God's will first. We begin at Luke chapter 1. At verse 26, and it is page 820 in this Bible available here. And I'm going to just shorten some of these verses. I'll eliminate some, so just hang on just for time. I'm not going to read everything. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged. That is the best English translation, but it's not an adequate translation of the arrangement 
between couples in that era. They were actually betrothed, and betrothed in one sense was considered marriage. It was a, a, not only a personal but a contractual relationship. The only way to break it was by divorce, but there was no intimacy. There was no cohabitation, and there may have been no familiarity at all with the couple. So she was betrothed to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel, the angel, appeared to her and said, Greetings or rejoice is another translation. Favored woman, the Lord is with you. Now Mary's a young Hebrew woman, teenager. She was probably not older than 17, may have been as young as 14, perhaps even 13. She believed in God. She lived obediently to God's law. But imagine at this age or at our age, she was shocked. She was surprised. She was frightened by this angel's appearance and then startled by his words. Verse 29 tells us that. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. I mean, he said she was favored. She wasn't educated, wasn't affluent, very young, inexperienced, not prominent, not important in any way in her culture. She probably lived in her father's household toiling at whatever task her mother assigned her to help support the family, but she wouldn't have seen herself as significant in any way. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor. I think a better translation may be, you have been graced by God, and you will conceive, and you will give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. Jesus is the equivalent of a Hebrew name. You know what it is? What's the Hebrew equivalent? Joshua. Joshua. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Imagine how startled. This is a common woman, even considered a peasant by many writers, and she's going to be the mother of the king, and she's thinking in terms of a throne and ruling the way David did. But look what she asked this angel. How can this happen? I'm a virgin. So this is where this teenage girl is thinking. This is an honest question, but I think it was probably stated a little bit defensively. What do you think? Because her culture frowned strongly on immorality. And so even though this was an angelic being, this being was, was, might be implying she'd done something wrong. And so she answered in that way. And then the angel explained it in verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. Do you think that answer was comforting? 
I want you to think about who this is and how old she was. I don't think it was comforting at all. What does this mean? Her, her mind would have been spinning. This information would be extremely intimidating to a teenager. I mean, what a weighty responsibility. And she would have been immediately aware of what people would think about her. It would have been a split second, and she would have thought, I'm not married, and I'm going to be pregnant. But look what she said. I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. I think it's important that you see that. Everything you've said about me. This was a personal announcement. It impacted It would overtake her life. And then the angel left her. You know, what we see here is how Mary viewed herself. You know, all of us have an identity. If I passed out cards and I said, write your identity in one word. And if you were honest and if you were aware enough to do it, that word would be reflective of the way you live your life, how you make decisions. How did she view herself? What did Mary view herself as? What? A servant of God. I wonder how many of us would write that. I guess that's more than one word, servant of God, maybe three words there. But if I said write one word or one phrase of who you are. Because Mary saw herself as a servant, she willingly submitted to God's plan. Because the issue for her, she had already decided yes. And so the only question was, what do you want from me, God? I wonder how many of us have already decided yes. And we're just waiting on the assignment. And I wonder how many of us would say, well, God says this, but I think I want this. And how many of us would weigh our own opinion and what impact it would have on our personal life and our enjoyment? Before we would answer, yes. Big step, isn't it? She would have instantly grasped that her betrothed Joseph, she, she knew about him. I don't know that she knew him well. They certainly didn't date like we do in our culture. Goodness, in our culture, if you like anybody at all, you, you have sex with them. I mean, it's, it's, it's ridiculous what television has become. It used to be maybe you touched their hand years ago if you liked them. Then it may be a kiss. Now, I mean, these, these important personal connections have been dehumanized and minimized. But in this culture, there wouldn't have been any contact, maybe little awareness. The parents would have put this relationship together. But she knew this man was 
her betrothed husband, and he would know immediately this child wasn't his. But she didn't even ask about him. Wouldn't you? Maybe she thought it. I think a teenager, I think even, even me, you know, I'd have said, well, what about him? Or, you know, are you going to explain something? She knew she would face the shame and the mistreatment of being unmarried and pregnant. She could have some concern about being stoned for infidelity, but that wasn't frequently practiced in this culture. It perhaps would have been done if Joseph had insisted, but it, it wasn't a common practice for this offense at this time. Now, Joseph would have been older perhaps only 18 to 21. He could have been a lot older. We don't really know, but he would have been at least a few years older. And imagine how he would have felt. Don't you think there would be someone that would love to have told him first? Remember, she'd been gone for three months. She was staying with Elizabeth. So when she showed up, she didn't look the same. Maybe she had it covered with the robes. But when somebody found out, boy, that'd be only too many would be willing to run to Joseph's house. And he would have been shocked, disappointed, perhaps even outraged when he learned of Mary's pregnancy. But look at how he reacted. Matthew chapter 1, verse 19. Joseph, her fiancé, betrothed, was a good man. I think good man does refer perhaps to his personality, even his character, his nature. But there's, in the Greek, it also implies he was a righteous man. You know, a a God follower, a, a law keeper. And did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the betrothal, the engagement, quietly. Joseph would assume that she was unfaithful. I don't even know if she had told him she was faithful, whether he would believe it. What do you think? Would anybody else have believed it? Would their friends in town have believed it? You think they ever changed their mind? What do you think? You think they ever changed their mind? I don't think the friends ever changed their minds. These two had scandal hanging over them their entire lives. But Joseph wouldn't marry an immoral woman. He was a kind man, but he still wouldn't marry an immoral woman. And For one thing, it would make everyone think that he had been immoral and he had fathered this child. But in his kindness, he would divorce because if you were betrothed, as I said, you had to be divorced formally. But a man could divorce by writing a writ of divorcement and having it witnessed by two people. And he could do it without even involving a judge. And so that's what he did. And then verse 20. As he considered this, divorcing, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. 
Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The name Jesus transliterated from Hebrew is, would be more literally Yeshua. And what it means is Yahweh, the personal name of God, saves. Or Yahweh is salvation. And that fulfilled Isaiah 7-4 and Isaiah 8-8. The angel assured Joseph that Mary had not been unfaithful to him or to God. And in fact, the child was conceived not in sin, not in unfaithfulness, not in adultery, but in holiness. And this child conceived in holiness apart from sin would then save his people from their sins. And we see Joseph's response in verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. And he took Mary as his wife. You see any hesitation? You see any argument? You see him saying, let me get out of this. This is going to ruin my reputation. I didn't do anything wrong. God chose this couple to parent his son. But they had to agree. But think of what they did. They willingly sacrificed personal plans and dreams. And they chose instead to surrender their lives to God's purposes. God knew them. He knew their faith. He knew their natures. He knew their character, even their personalities, when he chose them. You know what, though? I think God sends children to us with just as much precision and care. God sends children, particular certain children, to individual parents because of what the child will teach the parents but also possibly more important what the parents will teach and provide the specific child. I don't think that parenting is ever easy. Anyone disagree with me? I think every child is individual and every child brings their, their difficulties. But some of you, some of us, have been chosen to raise children with some unusual difficulties. And God did it deliberately. And he did it carefully. It doesn't 
make the daily task easier necessarily in the sense that it can still be stressful and laborious. But knowing that God has a hand in something gives you some peace, doesn't it? And gives you some endurance. And some of you with those extraordinary children know that as God chose Mary and Joseph, their lives would not be normal. Their typical days would not be the same as everyone else's. What people thought of them would be different. Often not complimentary, but... People that raise special children understand what it means to not fit in with everybody else. You know what I'm talking about? If you can get to the place that you believe that God has done something, given you a child for the good of the child and for your good, you can have peace. Doesn't mean you don't have hard days, but you can have peace. And you can endure and have perseverance. You know, we... Gosh, I, if you'll indulge me to, to just reflect on our situation a bit. Leon calls our grandson a treasure. And he just requires... He's full of love, like so many children, but he requires some extra care. Um, and some extra carefulness. But we have learned this past week or about 10 days ago that our treasure, Graham, has been accepted for a kidney transplant in Pittsburgh. We still believe in miraculous healing and we still pray over it and fast over it. But we're prepared to do what it takes to help this little fellow prepare for his life. Andrew's already applied to be a, a donor and if he's qualified, that'll help or we'll be praying for a donor. But God chose us and God chose you for your situation. Do you believe that? Can you find comfort in that? I didn't say it makes the task easy. Please hear me. Have you accepted God's will for your life like Mary and Joseph? Or have you held it at length saying, I'm going to make this judgment? Because I think God will go elsewhere. Have you said, I'll do it, you just tell me what? That appears to be what they had done, both of them in their lives. Have you also accepted God's will for your children's lives? You know, if we do things God's way, particularly in this culture, you know you run the risk of being labeled an outcast, don't you? 
Now, I'm not one of these guys. I don't think, sun, I think Sunday's for God. It's not a political pep rally. That's not what I ever try to do. But I, am gonna, I do speak on moral issues. And parents, you can no longer just send your kid off to school without knowing what they're being taught. Without knowing, all right, now whoever said amen has to show up at the library. You see what I'm saying? We don't get to just root. We have to, because this isn't every day. And those of you with children in school, you have to know what your teachers, the teachers are teaching. And you may pull your kid out of a class. And you may end up homeschooling. And you have to know what's in the library. What's, what are the convictions of the teacher? What does the teacher intend to impugn to your children? Even at the risk of having lives lived totally outside the normal. Are you willing? Another primary duty of parents is to prioritize their children's safety. Caesar Augustus decreed a census for taxation. Now, that wasn't his name. Caesar is a title, meaning emperor, Roman emperor. Augustus uh, was a statement meaning um, esteemed, honored, revered. That wasn't his name. Anybody know his real name? What'd you say? Wait a minute. <laughs> I think y'all, y'all see, y'all have learned how to throw your voices and then you point. Just about. <laughs> Gaius Octavius was actually his name. But he decreed this census for the purpose of taxation. Luke chapter 2, turn there, verse 4. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his betrothed, who was now obviously pregnant. After birth, Jesus' life became immediately endangered by Herod, who had been appointed king by Rome. Herod was called the king of the Jews, called himself that. He wasn't actually Jewish. He was actually Idumean, but because of favors that his father paid to Rome, he was given this position. Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. And he held it jealously. An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up. Flee to Egypt with the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother. Joseph likely traveled 175 miles. It was about 70, 75 miles to the border of Egypt. But then he would probably have to have traveled another 100 miles on foot in all likelihood. Perhaps there was a donkey for Mary because she had just given birth. 
there was a, a Jewish settlement in Alexandria, but he, so he may have had to go in that area, probably 175 miles into Egypt to protect Jesus. But it did fulfill a prophecy. Again, not a prophecy Joseph or Mary knew about in all likelihood, but that, that the Messiah was called out of Egypt from Hosea 11.1. Now Herod discovered, and verse 16 says, he was furious. He sent soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, which fulfilled another prophecy about the king and murder at Jeremiah 31, verse 15. Now, do you see any hesitation on Joseph? Did he say, I've got to make some plans? I need to go home for a while. He responded immediately to protect the life of his child without hesitation, without resistance. Do you think it was what he wanted to do? What do you think? Y'all quit talking since I quit preaching, didn't you? I'm going to have to cut Brian. I gotta, these, what have you done? You've silenced these people. Where are all the people that used to yell back at me? Goodness. Joseph doesn't speak. In fact, Joseph never speaks in the entire Scripture. Never says a word. Now, some of you say, I wish my husband was like that. But. <laughs> Joseph, think about this. Joseph was referred to as what profession? Maybe he was a carpenter. He was a tectone. I think Mason's closer to it, actually. But it can be, the word can be translated woodworker, mason, craftsman, handyman today. Um, he, he was a man that worked with his hands. The reason I think it's probably more likely a mason or some combination is there's not a lot of wood in Israel. So he may have made chairs, a table, something like that, but people didn't build houses out of wood. You know how they build houses? They dug them out of the hillside. See, it's like in our country, we have all this timber. So people years ago could fell trees, build log cabins. There just aren't that many trees, and they're not that big in Israel. But they live on limestone. And so with a mallet and a chisel, they can build a house. And you can see the houses today. They're underground. They're in hillsides. And they would chip away at it. So he probably was a mason, maybe did a little bit of woodworking. But he had to make his living with his hands. So he probably wanted to return to his home where he knew people, where we had customers, where his name was known. He'd established a business. And now he has not only a wife, he's got this very important child to support. But he offers no objection. Those of you that make, hand, make, make your living with your hands, that have a trade, you would think very carefully to just pick up and go far away, wouldn't you? Because you're thinking, I, I don't have any contacts. But Joseph did. Because he complied with whatever God told him. What about you? If God says something about the way you make your living about your business, will you comply? What if he says, 
This, this practice is not completely honest. It's got to stop. What if he says, no, don't join with that person in business. But they have resources. God would say, I have the resources. What will you do? Do we comply with God's instruction even about our business? Continuing in Matthew chapter 2, verse 19. When Herod died, two, maybe as much as three years later, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph again. Get up, the angel said, take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel because those who were trying to kill the child are dead. So Joseph got up and returned to the land of Israel with Joseph and his mother. But when he learned that the new ruler of Judea was Herod's son Archelaus, he was afraid to go there. There was a revolt, and Archelaus put 3,000 Jews to death, although the revolt was a small group. He punished them severely. Then after being warned in a dream, this is another dream. This is the fourth time he was warned in a dream. He left for the region of Galilee. So the family went and lived in a town called Nazareth, which fulfilled another prophecy that the Messiah would be a Nazarene. You see what's happening over and over. Joseph and Mary set aside their wishes to do what they wanted to do because they decided to do whatever they were told to do. They determined to do whatever was necessary to protect their son. They were focused on preserving Jesus' life and they obeyed every instruction from God. Are you focused on keeping Jesus alive in your home, in your family? It takes effort. Do you obey God's instructions to avoid danger to your spiritual life and to the spiritual lives of your children? Do you protect your children from dangerous influences? Folks, we, we must screen television. You know, unfortunately, I think so many of us are scared of being embarrassed by putting some restrictions. And you saw when I opened up, don't be hard on your children. I'm not talking about that. But there are times that children don't determine how they're raised. There are things you say, nope, you're not having this. You know, years ago when, when my daughters were young, Leanne and I found this tool. It was a little metal box that had cables on it. And the kids called it a cuss box. And so what you do is you would hook it between the receiver and the cable. And when, when there was a curse word on television, it would blank it out, block it out, and it would print a different word, a more innocuous word. Like if, it, if someone said the word sex, it would block it out and it would say hugs. And you say, well you, well, you didn't protect your children from anything. You can't protect, protect them from this world. You can try. You can try. Joseph and Mary were powerless, poor people, and they were fighting a Roman king. You do what you have to do. And then you count on God doing the rest. You know, we, we, when we de tried to determine what should we do for 
Graham's physical health. We said, what vaccines, what should he take? What? And we found some international experts. We found some organizations. We consulted lots of material. And we kept being told, you, you shouldn't give him anything. But you're not going to be allowed to not give him all these shots to get surgery. But the people that said that don't know God. At least they don't believe God's involved at such a level. A principal assignment also for parents is to pursue faith for the family. Jesus' parents believed they were raising the Messiah, the Savior, the future King of Israel. Do you think they knew what to do? Do you? This is what they knew. They knew to obey God. They knew to obey God. And they obeyed every part of God's law on behalf of themselves and their newborn child. Luke chapter 2 verse 21. Eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus as he was told to. That wasn't a family name. The name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. Now, we think of this happening at the temple. It, not, it didn't likely happen at the temple. The next sentence was at the temple. But very likely this circumcision occurred at home probably with the father doing it. Maybe there was a neighbor or someone. But it would have been done in the household and, and friends and family members would have gathered. And circumcision was important. It was the sign of inclusion in the Abrahamic covenant. So it identified Jesus as a member of the nation of Israel. But it was also a physical symbol of the spiritual cleansing of the heart that takes place at salvation. Now you say, but, but that cleansing of the heart, that's New Testament. No, no, this is Old Testament. Deuteronomy 10, 16, Deuteronomy 36. The Old Testament refers repeatedly to circumcision of the heart, to have the sin, the evil, cut out of your heart by the Spirit. You say, well, Jesus was sinless, so why would that matter for him? Because Jesus had to fulfill all of the law, every command, all of the expectations of the Scriptures. And He had to do so perfectly, even though him, He Himself never sinned. So the righteousness that He earned under the law that wasn't needed by Him was given to those of us, those of us that need it so desperately. He kept all the law. Galatians 4, 4 and 5. He was born of a woman and he was born under the law so he could fulfill the law and it could benefit us. Luke 2, verse 24. Verse 22, I'm sorry. Then it was time for their purification offering as was required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. This is... Um, Circumcision occurred. There was seven days past. Circumcision was the eighth. This is 33 days later 
for a boy. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required of the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, the scripture actually specifies the offering of a lamb, but it makes a provision of turtle doves or pigeons for people who are poor, which again shows you Jesus grew up in a very poor family. Exodus chapter 13, Leviticus chapter 12. Obedience to God's law was evident as Jesus grew up. Look at verse 41. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, at the age of 12, they were considered an adult. An adult in the sense that they were responsible under the law to God, but they were still under the authority of their parents. They attended the festival as usual. I think it's important that you see that in those two verses, every year as usual. And then in verse 43, Jesus disappears when they go home. And that's when they found him three days later in the temple, talking and listening to the religious leaders. But to sum up their attitude, you can look at verse 39. When Jesus' parents had fulfilled all the requirements of the law of the Lord, they returned home to Nazareth in Galilee. There the child grew up healthy and strong. He was filled with wisdom. Yes, from God, but also from his parents. And God's favor or grace was on him. You know, I think we're not unlike Mary and Joseph. Our children aren't going to be the savior of the world, but they might impact a community. And they can impact their own families. And the influence can spread. And so every one of us were given the right, the, the important position of parenthood to lead our children to faith. Well, how do you do it? Well, first, you live according to God's word. I think faith is caught more than it's taught. Because if you say one thing and you live another, your children follow the way you live, not what you say, and resent you in the process. So we live the truth. But I think you, like, the, like these two, they observed everything they were supposed to in terms of public worship. Folks, I, I think, you should be careful minimizing your involvement in a church, your children's involvement in ministries. Well, he doesn't want to. I don't know why children get to make that decision. You're preparing your children for faith. Well, I can't make them. They go to school. They go to the doctor. I mean, goodness, they go to 42 classes and teams. You can but you have to value it, 2 Timothy 3. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. You know that I believe the Holy Spirit regenerates, but this verse plainly says that God honors our teaching and our example.
and our training so that our children may come to faith. I don't think this is a simple task. And I don't think it's easy. It's probably your life's greatest task. So how are you doing? Here's what I want to do as we close. I'd like to just pray a prayer of blessing on every person in this room who is a parent, a grandparent, a teacher, a caregiver of children, or who is influencing children to any degree. I want you to stand. Most of this room, and probably many of the rest of you, will be at some time. Father, you see those standing and you know the burdens of their lives. You know the children that you have invested in their lives. Lord, I pray that you would enable them to have endurance in living good news as well as spreading good news. I pray that the influence of their lives would lead these children to faith at a very young age. Protect them, Lord. Protect their lives, their health, but above all, protect their souls and draw them to faith in the Son. Lord, please bless the efforts of all of those gathered here. May we be helpers of each other and servants of you as we pursue this important task. In Christ's name I pray, amen. We are grateful that you've joined us today for the Brickwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. And we hope that you'll join us for one of our three Candlelight Christmas Eve services, Saturday, December 23rd at 5 p.m. and on Sunday, Christmas Eve at 9 and 11. Brookwood Kids is available for children's birth to age two and special friends and overflow venues will meet upstairs. Please plan to arrive early. There is a daily devotional companion for the Jesus at the center of Christmas series. This will help you spend time with God every day. You can find the daily devotional at the church right after the Sunday services and on the Brookwood Church app. On the app, you'll notice that you can share the day's devotion that you're reading with your friends and family through text messaging, email, or your social media. Coming up in our next episode of Jesus at the Center of Christmas is a message called Pursued by Outsiders. We'll see you next week.